Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We live weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Jim and Buddy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. It's going. Kablamo. Oh, fuck yeah, Kablamo. I forgot about that. Did you guys Kablamo in the past couple of weeks? Uh, no. Somebody... We didn't. Somebody, I want to say, messaged me. It'd be too much if I met someone in Japan who watched Weekly Weights. But somebody messaged me while I was away, Kablamo, and then something about Weekly Weights. It was mad. Um, I'm glad that that stuck. There was a guy who came into Lyft mm-hmm. who won the British Championships yeah. in the 74 class who really? came up to me and said, I listened to your podcast and it's awesome. That's mad. And I was like, that's fucking cool. Kind of fucking Rudy called it your podcast. Well, podcast. you weren't in the gym, so... I'd call it at most like the People's Podcast, which it is, but yep. not your podcast. The People's Republic of Weekly Weights. Um, it's Weekly Weights. It's episode 70. You said 76. Yeah, it's 76. Crazy. Um, today, we're doing a comp day Q&A. So Alex and I both put up question stickers. Um, and we're going to kind of group it by the good questions and then the troll questions at the end because we can do them kind of quick fire. But before we start, this is a surprise to Alex. We have a new review. And oh, it's an awesome. absolute banger. I'm going to read it. Um, full disclosure, the individual that wrote this messaged me a private appreciation message on Instagram and then asked for my blessing in posting this review, which I immediately gave because it's absolutely amazing. Why did you not share this with me? You'll see. You'll hear. <laughs> so it's by a guy called Aaron. Aaron Masters writes, What I think about that. That's the title of the review. Five stars. Fucking hell, here we go. When it comes to powerlifting content, Will and Alex are lathering it on in eloquent fashion. Will presents information with a decorous vernacular that truly embodies his respect for his audience. His careful, constructed witticisms allow the audience to learn and laugh at the same time. Will is even generous enough to bring his intern Alex Hayes on the podcast to talk in more simplistic terms which I'm sure the bros really appreciate. The pair masterfully break down the nuances of all things powerlifting, with an intricate balance of scientific evidence, anecdotes, and personal experience. Easily one of the best powerlifting podcasts to date. Hashtag, what do you think about that? Question mark. Hashtag, fuck peak speak. (laughs) I wish you'd hashtag, fuck peak speak. What do you think about that, Alex? I reckon Tom Clark wrote that. I promise you, unless Tom Clark has had a very active burner account on Instagram, (laughs) that it wasn't him. I loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. No worries. Okay, Tom Clark. <laughs> yeah, my intern Alex really appreciated <laughs> that. Fucking hell. <laughs> All right. So we've got questions for you. Um, I want to start off by saying that I'm a little disappointed in you guys, the listeners. You guys want to hear podcasts and you want to hear us talk about stuff, but you're not willing to ask us questions. Well, no, they're not willing to ask you questions. Well, I got quite a few. Yeah, I mean... Come on, I've got three questions in total. That is a pitiful effort. <laughs> you know what sucks is you've got probably twice the Instagram followers that I do. Yeah, I do. And they just don't respect you, you know? Um, they were every- <sighs> Look, all the questions went straight to me. I think I got 35 all up. Shut your mouth. <laughs> so we're going to start. You're like six. <laughs> I got about, I actually got about 20. Um, <laughs> we'll start with the more serious ones. Um, 
And one that Alex and I both got is broad recommendations on game day nutrition. So somebody asked Alex, basically, what do you eat on comp day? Is that right? Yeah, someone asked, what do we eat? And someone asked about um, just comp day nutrition in general. Okay, so I got, this one was asked by Thulani Gapara, New Zealand lifter, really strong. Um, has had a bit of a break from the sport, but is coming back. He's picked up, picked a comp. Um, he asked broad recommendations on game day nutrition, how much food, fluid, timing, caffeine, etc. Alex, I'm 99% that we addressed this in depth on an episode. Yeah, it was on the first Q&A. Was it? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I will refer you back to that answer, but I'm also going to re-give that answer really in short. Um, so presuming that you haven't done much of a weight cut or anything because that maybe muddies the waters... I don't think you need an enormous amount of food on competition day. What you do have should be biased both towards foods that you're familiar with and typically eat pre-training um, and towards simple carbohydrates. So uh, that might sort of be slightly conflicting if you don't normally have them before when you train. But there's not going to be much benefit to you consuming much fat in this context and the amount of protein, like protein won't give you a performance enhancing effect. It will fill you up a little bit. So it's probably just not necessary. So the types of things that I would recommend most people have, like I said, things if you're familiar with, but me typically I would have something like some oats and banana or a bit of a stir fry with a decent amount of rice and some sauce straight after weigh-in. And then after that, I pretty much live on things like, yeah, banana, some lollies and drinking wise, I usually have one sports drink, maybe a second one. And after I've had, after I've had either half of the first one, or the first one in its entirety, I start diluting the rest. So pretty much simple carbohydrates that sit in you well um, and mostly water. Um, Alex, do you want to add anything to that before we go further? Yeah, I think um, it's important to know that if you are going to do a weight cut, you're going to have to delay when you eat, obviously, until you finish weighing in. And if you don't have to do a weight cut, you can just eat your normal breakfast or your normal pre-training meal before you leave for the venue. Mm. I think that's, that's important to know. If you can eat before you even get to the venue, do that and kind of treat it like a normal training session. Um, and once you've had that first meal, like we all said, something a bit more substantial, bit more something that resembles more food, whether it's your oats and banana, whether it's your muesli bars, whether it's like a bit of rice or a bit of pasta or something, have that normal first hit of normal food first. And then the rest of the day should just be like, just straight carbs pretty much just sugar whether it's fruit whether it's sports drink whether it's lollies i think whatever what you said there about if you're not weight cutting just eat your normal food is really important and it's really good advice in fact i think there was there was some research that sort of like obliquely relates to this at one stage and it was that one of the big one of the big things that differentiated like olympic level athletes from from just like recreational but good athletes was the importance of pre-training rituals and like and environments that they create for themselves and so one thing that's probably advisable in most of your training but certainly at competition if you want to like maximize performance is to have a bit of stability uh, both because it allows you to change things in future if you like something about my routine is not working and because it just puts you in this in this like very stable performance environment so if you do have the advantage for comp of not having had to cut weight then being able to come in treating it almost like a training session, at least to begin with, is really good. Does a lot more for calming your nerves than probably having like an elaborate meal plan does. Anything to add on that? 
Ah, uh, no, but at Nationals was the first time that I've ever actually been able to eat before weighing. And yeah. I did just that. I had my normal breakfast, um, two eggs on toast and some cereal. Yeah. And got to the venue. I was a lot more relaxed. I wasn't hungry. I wasn't like antsy to wait to, wait to weigh in and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of calmed the nerves a little bit, like you said. Yeah. Um, more on performance and nutrition. So powerlifting, you do three max attempts three times. So you're really actually doing fuck all activity. Um so it's not like it's not like a I don't know like soccer carnival or anything like that or like running a marathon where carbohydrate availability is really a massive problem. Um, however, there is some evidence that consuming carbohydrates can help in reducing fatigue and in strength performance. And so, as far as doses go, um, I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure that it's important that you have an awful lot. But the types of doses that have been demonstrated to aid strength performance are like 30 to 40 grams per hour. Um, so so I'd suspect that if you had that slightly more substantial meal before the competition started and then between each attempt had something about 30 grams of carbohydrates, that would almost certainly be adequate. And then the other concern that you might have, well, there's two other concerns. One is caffeine dosing. Um, I wrote, I published, or I shared, I should say, a paper that actually did a review of caffeine use for powerlifting performance on my Instagram story recently, and I saved a summary of it in one of my highlights things called Ramblings, so you can you can check that out. But you probably you probably want to split your your high end caffeine dosing across the three events, so you know have about two hundred milligrams for most people um, prior to squats and then maybe about that much or a little less prior to bench and then about that much again prior to deadlifting. Um, the other concern is, um, is electrolytes. So whether or not you've cut weight, it's probably good to make sure that you don't get enormously dehydrated over the course of the day. You can sustain a reasonable amount of dehydration, like three to 4% body weight loss without seeming to impair strength performance much, but I don't see there being any benefit to doing that. So making sure, particularly if you're going to drink a decent amount of fluids across the day, that you also have some salts and potassium and things is good. That's one of the reasons why having a sports drink might be advisable. Um, but if you're choosing foods to snack on, then another benefit to something like, say, bananas or even some chips is just that they do have um, they do have some electrolyte content in them. So having a bit of that is probably good too. Beyond that, I don't think you need to make it awfully complicated. Just have enough to be comfortable, not so much that you're over full. And you're almost certainly not going to get hungry anyway because you're running on adrenaline. So, yeah, basically don't eat too much. Have a little bit, mostly carbs, some electrolytes. Did you want to um, add any more about um, refueling after a big cut? I feel like that's one of my questions. Well, yeah, we'll get to that later then. Yeah, all right. So, um, um, Yeah, that's pretty much game day nutrition. The question that I got, Will, yeah. and this is like a personal anecdote, what do we eat on comp day? Someone said, what do you guys eat on comp day? Yeah. Um, what are the things that you lean to? What are your go-tos? Just to give some people, just to give people some ideas. I actually pretty much told you exactly. So my past few comps, because since I've moved to the 94s, I've been really underweight. So it literally doesn't matter. Like I have breakfast like normal. And then prior to competing, I'll have a Powerade. Um, I'll, I think I'll usually have a Powerade and maybe a very small snack with my first bit of caffeine because I've already had a decent sized breakfast. And then after that, I'll usually have a banana before bench press. And then between bench press and deadlifts, I'll just have some jelly lollies. And I'll have my caffeine across that time. Um, when I did used to cut weight, my my post-weigh-in meal 
was usually I think 60 or 80 grams of oats with a banana cut through it and some cinnamon and sometimes it's just a little bit of protein powder or Nutella or something um I'd have that again with a Powerade and then my meals after that were usually the same although sometimes I'd have a muesli bar between squats and bench press but pretty much that stuff so just they're all foods that I'm really comfortable with that I have all the time and as close as possible to my pre-training ritual which is always a Powerade and if I'm having something more substantial I usually have some type of grain with it so pretty much that Alex um yeah so when I used to cut weight it would be the first thing I would do straight after getting on the scales would be drink a whole liter of Powerade and eat two bananas immediately a whole liter a whole liter of Powerade and two bananas straight away and then I would have like pasta with like a salty sauce and then and then I would (laughs) I've dropped my microphone twice in the past 30 seconds Um, yeah so I would have a a serving of pasta and like a salty sauce with extra salt on it Um, that would be like my sort of substantial meal Um, and then from there it would kind of just be like picking out lollies picking out salty chips um, I'd go either Pringles or salt and vinegar chips. So I guess one common thread here is tapering food intake across the comp day. Yeah, so I'd have like a lot immediately and then I'd kind of eat, eat until I was stuffed and completely full and I would try and get it in as quickly as possible mm. so that I had time to sort of feel better by, that, by the time I needed to warm up for squats. Um, but then after that, it's like literally a handful of lollies here, a handful of chips here, sipping on Gatorade, usually diluted Gatorade. So that was when I used to cut weight like a lot of weight now that it's a bit easier for me to make weight um it's if i can i'll eat before before getting into the um to the venue and then from there it will be like the same foods just less of it and usually the first thing i'll eat will be like an an oat bar or a muesli bar or something and then from there bananas chips lollies gatorade amusing anecdote i've told this on the podcast before so in my first international competition when i had no idea what i was doing i cut way too much weight I weighed in like 81.5 or something for the 83s and I'd been walking around like 84 and a half or something like the week prior. So like my cutting strategy was way too drastic and I could have literally just stopped drinking after dinner the day before and like cruised in. So I cut too much weight and I hadn't had carbs in like two days and it was so dumb. And um, and then I got really excited post weigh-in because I was like, fuck yeah. You know, I've I cut all this weight. So I had my normal pre-training, um, my normal pre-competition foods because I was like, I probably should do that. And then just on top of it, rammed in a couple of bagels with some spreads. And then this other Aussie lifter who was with me, who I've never seen since, but he was quite strong, um, had Citation Extend. I can't remember his name. He was a really strong bench presser from Queensland and he couldn't really squat and he deadlifted okay. I can't remember his name. Um, but he had Citation Extend. And he was like, do you want some? And I was like, well, fuck, why not? So I had a whole bunch of that. So by the time squats were coming around, I was actually feeling sick in the stomach, like like properly felt really ill and my limbs felt heavy and it was really bad. So my squat warm-ups felt terrible. And then I squatted my first attempt just sky high, which was also standard. partly... Yeah, standard. Classic will. Classic, but also partly attributable to nerves, obviously, because like international competition. So squatted sky high and my tummy felt bad. So then... I, I think I went up like five kilos, squatted it, and then I had squatted 180 or something in training. And so I insisted on going to 182 because my 180 in training was okay. But my second had been like 170 and it wasn't that good. And then so I went to 182 and missed it on strength. Um, 
And then I had just an absolute shocker on bench, which is nothing out of the ordinary, but I was feeling pretty crook. And by the time deadlifts came around, I felt like really bad. And I'd still been like, I'd been trying to eat food because I thought I should. Um, Because I was all about like the bloat and stuff. I didn't really understand when I was reading on Elite FTS, these people talking about trying to get really bloated to lift more. I didn't really understand that that was probably a dumb idea in this application. And that they were like 150 kilos. 150 kilos. Cutting 20. Yeah, cutting 20, trying to re-bloat after that, like trying to make their gear fit tighter and on drugs. So then I've, um, I kept eating and stuff because I thought I should. Get to deadlifts felt like pretty awful. And I went to do my final deadlift, which was going to be a two and a half kilo PB. And like deadlifts were looking like rescuing the day for me as usual. And... And I jumped from like 222 or something to 232. At this stage, I was still deadlifting beltless because I didn't own anything. Um, and <laughs> I got it to like above the knee and just started fighting. And like it was, it was thunderous. Like absolutely like probably heard it in row 10 of the audience loud fart. And this poor guy was standing behind me in case I fainted. And so I hitched this deadlift like awfully. It was about a four or five second lockout. So think round back beltless deadlift while fighting. I thought I might have shat myself. And then I got red lights for it, which was heartbreaking. And I, like I'd literally left it all on the platform and maybe some shit. And <laughs> this guy who was the back spotter, when I put the bar down, his face just said it all. He was like, bro. And he was a New Zealander guy from the local powerlifting club. And even said something like, you know, bloody hell, mate, that was quite a fart or something. And I was just like embarrassed. But anyway, ever since then, I've been like, fuck, I should probably just eat about as much as I need, hey? Yeah, I, I've, I always get nervous. So, and this is like something that I've noticed in a lot of people is that they get nervous before weighing. So even if they've had a big cut, they can't really stomach a lot. Mm. And I've been lucky in that respect that like I've never been able to overeat and to the point where I felt sick. Yeah. Oh, actually, another thing I should mention, because um, the fart thing brought it up, is when you have a lot of caffeine, so caffeine can in- increase um, GI motility, so it can make you want to shit. That's one of the reasons why people have their morning coffee and then run off to the loo. Um, so a decent amount of caffeine can do that for you, but also when you have a lot of simple sugars, so fructose, one of the components of sucrose, is taken up by a different transporter in your GI tract to glucose. And you can saturate it. And so if you have too much fructose, that'll also make you want to shit. So when people like have heaps and heaps of sports drink and heaps of lollies or heaps of simple sugars, they they might be more inclined to shit. And if you couple that with a heap of caffeine, you're also going to be more inclined to shit. So there's probably something to be said for for also just not slamming heaps of sugar just for the sake of it. Because if you're like me and you're a bit of a nervous pooper and you take a lot of caffeine, then when you heap in having heaps of sugar as well, you just end up in the toilet like so much for no actual performance benefit. And it's pretty stressful if you have to run to the toilet between attempts and you're like, wow, I've got like five, six minutes to get out of here because, you know, I don't want to miss, like I don't want to miss a lift because I'm in the toilet when I should be on the platform. Funny story from Nationals. Will's opening deadlift. (laughs) Another classic. Massive fart. Huge fart. Need to poo. Ran away. Didn't tell me where I was going. I got a text from him two minutes later. Hey, man, I'm in the bathroom. Can you let me know when I'm three lifters out? <laughs> yeah. Classic example. So don't do what I did. Um, one more point. Yeah. On comp day nutrition and comp day caffeine. Don't do anything that you haven't already trialed in training. 
Um, that goes for food selection. It goes for amounts of food. It goes for amount of caffeine and it goes for caffeine timing. So yeah. those are the kind of things that you can trial in training. Like you train four to five times a week for months leading into comp. You have multiple opportunities to trial different doses of food, different doses of caffeine, different timings of caffeine, different timings of food, different types of food, all of those things. Um, use your training to kind of try stuff and see what works for you, see what feels better, and then do those things on, on the comp day. Good answers. Okay, next question. Shall I hit another one? I'm out of questions, oh. other than my one troll question, which is All right. will be a one-second answer. So it's the real host, Will, here. <laughs> <laughs> the person that you submitted all your questions to. Another one that I got... Um, Oh, this is from a big fan as well. So this is Arish Zaveri. He always submits questions. Yep, hey. I remember this guy. Yeah, champ, what's up? Um, he says, how long before comp would you peak, if at all, for a non-priority comp? Not at all. Not at all? Yeah, not, or I guess it depends like what you mean by not a priority. Mm-hmm. If it's like you've got one big comp and you've got like a, a, a lead-up comp, like a tune-up comp, you might do like a softer peak where you don't hit quite the weights you're going to hit in your real peak. Um, but if you're saying it's not a priority at all, as if maybe like it's your first competition or it's just a a random comp for fun or something, then I probably you probably wouldn't need to peak at all. You might just do a deload the week before and then go in. Yeah, I think um, Alex's answer pretty much pretty much sums up my answer as well, which is like, Without context, you can't really make a good decision about that. It's probably important to say, like, why are you competing? And then tailor your expectations and your training to that. So if you are, like, you're lifting, you don't really care how well you do, you're just doing this comp because you want to qualify for nationals, which is a priority in three months later, and you know that you can go in and easily qualify for nationals on your openers, you probably don't need to peak. You could deload for three days or a week or something and go in and just lift what you need to lift. Um, if you're competing for fun without massively high competitive aspirations and your real focus is just on training, then you could probably do the same thing or do a really soft peak. If you've had a very long off season and it's a low priority comp that you're doing for a tune up into a bigger one, then you might want to actually have a bit more of a strength phase leading into a peak for that because you want to have some indication of what your off season's netted you before you really knuckle down. And if it's a comp that is low priority but proximal to another comp, so say you're doing one comp that doesn't mean much to you four weeks out from one that does, and I'm not sure what the context for that would be, but say you were, then again, you'd have to think, I've got this other comp coming up really close by, so I don't want to do something in this first comp that jeopardizes the second. And if the situation was switched, then you'd be saying, well, I'm going to peak for this first comp, do a bit of muck about training and make sure I touch things heavy enough to not completely lose touch with top end weights, then go in and have fun in the second. So basically, depending on the context, you can make that decision, but I don't think having an arbitrary rule is going to help. And in the context of just a fun, low priority comp, like if you're going in for fun, like you need to think about the reasons for you doing powerlifting in the first place. Like obviously you want to lift heavy. So not peaking at all is not going to yield the greatest result. No, so exactly. if, if you do enjoy lifting heavy and the fun aspect for you is hitting big weights in training or hitting big weights in meets, then that low priority for you might be like just equal priority to a normal high priority comp because the fun for you is hitting the biggest weights you can. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, you need to figure out your expectations for the competition and then adjust your peak taper accordingly. Okay, easy one. This is from James Langley 9. What's up, James? He says, advice for a first-time competitor. The reason I say this is easy, Alex, 
because we have a podcast about this. Whole and you episode. can go back and listen to it. Episode 37, I think it is. 37? Someone, yeah, actually, it would have been that. Someone messaged me during the week and asked and said he's doing his first comp this weekend and he wants to know if I, we've got any episodes that could help him. And, and I sent him I sent him episodes. Hang on, I'll, I'll get up the message. Here we go. Episode 37 and 49. Wicked. Um, yeah, that would be my advice is check that stuff out. To reiterate it really in brief um, is be no. pretty conservative in your estimations. If you can have a coach or somebody handle you on the day that's experienced, then do. But if not, it really behooves you to know the rules and or go and check out another competition. Have as much planned out in advance as you can and make sure you've checked the rules and equipment specifications of your federation. Write a list and check it twice. Don't do anything crazy and have fun. Alex? Yeah, pretty much that. Uh, read the rule book of your federation. Your federation that you're lifting in may be different to meets you've watched in the past. If you can, go and watch a meet of the same federation um, and see how people lift, see how the comps run, see how the t- all the timing works and all that kind of stuff. Um, open really, really light. Maybe something you can do for five reps or four reps or something um, and then go from there. Um, have fun, meet people. Shout out weekly weights on your post-meet post. Yep, don't eat too much. <laughs> yep, all right. Uh, don't cut weight. That's the other one. Yeah, actually, you know what? I, I'm going to say friend of the show. That's a formal title that Zingini? I'm giving a few people. Yeah, Joey put out a question about that, which I responded to. Yeah, me um, too. I gave him a big a big answer. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um, yeah, he said that, he said like controversial opinion, it's okay to cut for a first competition. So this is Protein and Chemicals on Instagram. Great guy, loves Pepsi Max. Very strong lifter in the 77 kilo weight class. Um, he said, um, controversial opinion, it's okay to cut for your first comp. And I can actually see that side of the argument. It is totally okay to cut for your first comp. And like it gives you an experience that's useful at other times in your competitive career. So f- like fully back it. But I also think that for a lot of people, it's just an additional stress that's not necessary. And cutting's main purpose is to maximize competitiveness. And I think when you're early in your career as a powerlifter, you don't want to like anchor yourself to thinking you need to compete in one weight class. You should be basically aiming to develop as a lifter. So whilst I think it is okay to do, I don't think it's necessary. And if you're basically trying to steer yourself into a first competition just to test the waters for powerlifting, rather than being somebody who's an experienced trainee who's really wanted to take this seriously as a competitive sport, then I would advise you against cutting um, for your first comp because I think you'd rather see your numbers on the platform reflect your training as well as possible. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, my general thoughts is that like your first competition is a learning experience. It's a chance for you to understand the rules. It's a chance for you to meet people and have fun. Um, and if you're adding more variables to that, that could possibly take away from those reasons for competing in the first place and it's probably not wise, probably not worth it. Um, if you are the rare person who's doing your first competition and does want to qualify for nationals or is already competitive and you are within maybe 1% or 2% of making the weight class, then sure, you can consider it. But that's probably pretty rare circumstances that someone would be doing their first competition and meet all those criteria. Yeah. Um, so I guess for 99% of people doing their first comp, you're probably not going to cut, and Digby is snoring. Oh, he just stopped. Okay, that Digby <laughs> is my dog for people who are new to the show. All right, next question. Somewhat passive aggressive, I think, from my client, Chrissy Dask, (laughs) who asks, at what point do you let a lifter have decisions over their attempts? 
Um, jokingly, joking entirely, I don't think this is passive aggressive. Um, Chrissy is very assertive. If she wants to do something, she'll tell me. Um, okay, my actual answer for this is I like to do that as soon as possible. I don't think there's an... E- <clears throat> I don't think there's an experience level that you absolutely need to have before you can start to have some input in what you lift on competition day, but the degree of input is definitely going to change. So I had a guy compete in his first competition after like two months total of training the other week. Did quite well. Shout out Josh. Um, And on, on his third attempt for his squat and for his deadlift, I said to him, this is what I want to put in. I think you could lift up to X. Um, you know, this is the risk associated with going higher. This is why I've chosen X number. Up to you. How are you feeling about it? How confident are you? And we were able to mutually decide, but I still bounded his decisions, right? I said, basically, this is as high as you can possibly go. This is what's in currently, or this is what's going to go in. Um, and I think that's good because it lets it lets you align their expectations and the degree of risk in each attempt with um with how they're feeling and it's also an exercise for them to practice saying how hard was x and y really so that was like a first timer um obviously for him he had no input in what he was going to open at or what his second attempts were or anything like that because he just doesn't have the experience to know um but then at the opposite end of the spectrum lifters like say chrissy and you know jp and beck chambers who are quite experienced that i coach um with them a few weeks out from competition we might start talking about a competition plan and I might say, hey, this is roughly where I see you opening your second attempt range will be about this and I could see you lifting up to X on your third attempt. And once we're sort of on board with the competition plan, I'll still make the primary decisions on the comp day. I'll say, look, this is what I think you should do next or this is what I'm going to put in. But because they know the competition plan, they can also say, hey, I'm feeling better or worse than normal. I think I could I could push it or that felt pretty heavy. Let's pull back and stuff. So at that point, they're corroborating my decision making with me and they have more autonomy because they have more experience and just a better gauge of what they can do but i think people should be able to fall somewhere on that spectrum pretty much from day dot what do you think alex um i don't know if the lifter should have any say in what their attempt is but i think that you can ask them questions about how things felt which will affect your decision mm. based on the answer that you hear back well, um, like, so I, let's play those one thing that I always do, let, let me finish. Okay. One thing that I always do is ask, like, as soon as a lifter gets off platform, how did that feel? Yeah. And then usually I'll tell them what their attempt is and ask them if they're, if they're okay with it. And 99% of the time they say sure. But, well, I guess in saying, are you okay with this? You are also giving them a chance to voice an opinion, right? Yeah. So it's not, you're not dictating to them. You're saying like, hey, are you on board for this? Yeah. Like, you, yeah, like usually it's a little bit of a back and forth, but I won't let their overconfidence sway my decision if that makes sense no but like and I think when you get to know your lift as well you know like what makes them tick mm. and if there's someone who just constantly overshoots or if there's someone who's like overly confident um, or whatever like or whatever like that like Jack Young for example yeah like he would he would say plus 10 if he deserves plus 2 right um, so like I guess knowing your lift is important in yeah. that in that respect yeah, and then totally. I guess having that little back and forth but never being swayed one way or another based on their decision so you're basically saying you're the primary decision maker but you take the the lifters feedback into account of course yeah yeah so in that respect they are still having some say over their attempts you just don't say here's your attempt card put in whatever you want because otherwise <laughs> what's the point of yeah, you of being course. there of course like to be honest as a coach like 
you're pretty much a chaperone on comp day. Like, you're not actually telling somebody how to lift because they're not thinking about their technique when they're on the platform. Yeah, and they probably like, can't even hear you anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like, warm-ups, you're basically doing their timing for them and making sure that they have the right numbers so they don't have to think. And then you're watching them on the platform and helping put in the numbers to help them actually make lifts. So if they're telling you what they want to lift and not using your input, there's literally no point in having you there other than to just load plates for their warm-ups. They might as well self-coach. Yeah, so you know? usually I'll have like a... Now that we have one kilo increments, yeah, it's a little bit more flexible. Yeah. But um, usually I'll have like a range of three kilos yeah. in my head and then based off their responses to the questions that I ask them straight afterwards, they will like dictate which one of those three numbers I choose. Yeah, because I mean like you have handled me a number of times and like I'll I'll come off the platform after a second and say that felt pretty tough I probably only have five or seven more or that felt pretty good you know I have ten more or something but quite often you'll come off and you'll be like um, whatever you think yeah you run away yeah, yeah well, I usually do that now because I'm reasonably <laughs> confident that you'll put the right thing on the bar um, but and also I think the past couple of times you've handled me have been situations where it's like it's we're there for a competition like as in to win more so yeah. than for me to lift exactly to the kilo what i think i can but like but it's not like you don't take you don't take that into account it's just that you're not letting them say what their lift should be but the the biggest indicator of what the next attempt should be is what the previous attempt looked like yeah exactly not what the feedback you get from the lifter is if your lifter goes out there and does an absolute dog shit second attempt <laughs> And they come off saying it felt great and I've got plus 15 kilos. You're going to go, yeah, righto, mate. Yeah. Plus five. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, yeah, like what you see is what actually happened, not what you hear. Yeah. And also I should say with the example of like, say, Josh, with novice lifters, they've often really just got like no perspective of what a good or hard or bad attempt feels like and when they're going to fail. It's actually really amusing to me because like I've got a couple of newish lifters now and they'll send me videos and be like, wow, this is really, really hard. And their last rep of a set of five is like open a speed, like really easy. Yeah. Um, so again, but, you yeah. have to bound your confidence in what they say with your actual appraisal of their ability to assess their lifting. Those are often the people who haven't like done any hard training in any sport no, as exactly. well. Like they don't really know what hard is. Yeah. But yeah, every now and again, you get a lifter who doesn't even want to know what their attempts are. Like like Eric, Brandon's lifter yeah. the other week. Yeah. Like he had no idea what was on the bar. But his final attempts were like realistic RP six to seven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I think that's a good answer for that question. Uh, okay. The rest of the ones on this page are troll questions. Um, Let's sprinkle a troll question in there and then have a break. Okay. Break now after this. Yeah. One, okay, troll, one got... troll question. <sighs> okay. Troll question. This is from Jade Tunchi. God. She says, can I lose weight if I eat only cheese? Answer, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has nothing it. to do with comp day anything. So <laughs> I don't think she Jade, any you're definitely, danger of you're, doing powerlifting. You're definitely not going to be listening to this either. No, so. certainly not. It'd be great if she did. Shout us out on Weekly Weights. Everybody who listens to this and follows Jade on Instagram, please bomb her inbox with Weekly Weights. Shout outs from the boys. Yes, you could lose weight eat, eating only cheese. It's perhaps not advisable. I actually PT Jade for a few sessions. Yeah, um, I remember seeing her in the gym a few yeah, times. It was so much, it was so much fun. She'd do trap bars, just empty bar off um, off the SMI boxes because she'd had some back pain in the past. Um, but and that was like the easiest way to expose her to a hinging pattern. That and just some like really light forty five degree back extensions. Did she get the back pain from just constant arching for posing for photos? 
Uh, no, she. I think her back pain initially. trolling. That was a troll. No, I think her back pain initially came from having somebody rear-end her in a car. Actually, oh, that sucks. Um, now I feel bad for my joke. Yeah, I know that was fucking cool. Right, we're having it? a break now. <laughs> Quick break. We'll be right back. Weekly weights. Kabla Zito. Sorry, what? Kabla Zito. It's like Catherine Zeta Jones, but Kablammy. Um, that is that's in the bin that is not <laughs> getting said again that's okay. terrible <laughs> i won't do that one again in a hilarious twist of comic retribution alex who made fun of jade's back pain is in some back pain yeah um, he's got a little bit of an irritated lumbar disc from being a fucking coward <laughs> <laughs> just being a flog <laughs> um so he's sitting on the floor right now along with digby the therapy dog we're we're doing a comp day Q&A and we did have some serious questions among the really dumb ones so the next semi-serious question is by allergic to everything on Instagram so that's like L as in the name allergic to everything she says do you have to be part of a club to compete and the answer is no um in powerlifting Australia and APU and presumably any other federation you need to be part of the federation unless you're doing just a novice comp, which like JPC um, host. But you don't have to be a member of or train at a powerlifting club to compete. You simply need to join the federation and show up on the day. I think in some ways it's to your advantage to train at a club or at least have a coach because it's going to expose you. Well, if you're at a club, it'll expose you to some competition style equipment, which is handy. But having a coach is obviously just going to help you nail down the rules and make sure that you prepare well. But beyond that, no, you don't. Alex? I do not have anything to add to that. Yeah. Um, so that's a good answer. Basically, no to a sport for all comers. Have fun. Yeah. If you're, if you're looking to do your first comp and you're not sure whether you want to like commit to a membership and all that kind of stuff, do a novice comp first. If you like it, then join a federation, whichever one tickles your fancy. And, yep. off, and off you go. All right. Um what a G I'm so sorry this is a difficult um, Instagram username what a J-I says tips on settling nerves for a first comp okay best piece of advice ever this is the best thing to say to people when they're nervous or angry or is just calm down just get somebody to helpfully say hey calm down when you're feeling stressed and it always helps what do you think about that Alex yeah, try that with Chrissy next time. <laughs> I was going to say, have you ever just said calm down to Chrissy? And she's yeah, I do just, it all the time. Oh, man. That is that is literally like pouring gasoline on a fire. Um, do not say calm down. Um, tips on settling nerves for a first comp. I actually think it's really natural to be nervous. Um, shout out Mumsy, because I've already said this on a podcast one time. She, um, she used to say to me before rugby games something that I can't remember who said it to her or around her but was that it's fine to have butterflies provided they fly in formation which is to say and this is this evoking something that liz craven said on the podcast as well it's really natural to be nervous it means that you care um and probably having some expectation that you will be nervous is good because it basically means that you're preparing to perform and i get nervous before heavy training sessions still um you know because it's exciting and a little bit scary and all of that so I would just say have some expectation of having nerves. Um, make sure that your training adequately prepares you for competition. So have a chance to do some heavyish lifting on, under competition conditions. And then beyond that, just, yeah, make sure that you've actually prepared yourself in person properly. So, um, you know, make sure that you have gotten all your equipment out, written a list and ticked it off so you don't have to stress 
about whether you brought anything that you um or sorry forgot to bring anything that you needed um make sure that your plan is reasonably conservative you shouldn't be looking at your openers and thinking oh shit i don't know if i'm going to make these to make sure that that's all in order um and beyond that you might want to do some visualization and stuff but i don't think that um that it's unnatural to be nervous and i don't think that beyond that there's anything magical you can do to make yourself very calm alex yeah i agree with everything you said but i think the best thing that you can do to harness nerves is develop routines um such as routines for things that you eat before training um the way that you walk up to the bar when you squat the way that you you know get on your back and unrack it like these little routines and stuff they will take over when you get on the platform um and it will sort of take your mind away from holy shit i'm doing a competition to okay i'm just doing another squat and putting my hands on the bar getting a tight on my back walking it out whatever um developing those little routines can like really really help you and then when you go in to do the comp you just kind of let go and your routines take over um one thing i'll say is that you will be nervous for your first competition and you should be nervous like you said will but the nerves will go away after you finish your first squat and you should be able so long as you make your first squat yeah you should be able to relax and everything will kind of chill out a lot after you've made your first squat Mm-hmm. So be expected, be expecting to be nervous when you're up on the platform, but sort of let your routine take over and just do your thing when you get up there. I think if you look at athletes in any sport that happens in a closed environment, so anyone where you're not responding to like, you know, dynamic play. So think, think golf, think people taking a kick for goal in rugby union or rugby league, anything like that where you're literally just executing a skill. Um, and powerlifting is like the most closed environment of all because ev- absolutely everything is standardized. Everybody has routines. You know, the way in which a golfer approaches the tee is like exactly the same every time. The way in which place kickers kick is hilariously individual, but also extremely stable. Um, and so what Alex said about developing routines is really important because it does actually help your mind get into the correct performance space. And like Nick Walters said, because I did listen to that episode when I was away, um, like Nick Walters said, exper- like experimenting with the degree of arousal. Yep, still um, going. You're... No, we're good. Okay, sorry, we just had an error message. Um, yeah, experimenting to find the degree of arousal that is most beneficial for you is going to help as well. But once you've learned to create that in training, yeah, being able to bring it out on comp day is really down to routine. Do you have much to add on that? Um, I'm just trying to think. Well, oh, um, another thing you can do is use music. Yeah, music's good. Um, find music that calms you down and sort of uh, relaxes you before attempts, and then you use the music to kind of evoke emotion later on when you need it. If you do need to get hyped up, or if you need to relax straight after attempt, or if you need to be like moderately hyped, you should have like sort of different go-to songs that you can just like play when you need them. Mm. I think we're going to have a very quick check because we had an error message while recording. Very quick technical check and then we'll be right back. Calabama, to quote Nat. Um, You remember when we said say Kablamo and she said, oh no, she said like Kablamo. She said Kablamo and you were like, oh, it sounded like Alabama. (laughs) Because it did. Um, Okay, we're back. There was no technical difficulty, so we're all good. Um, I reckon that pretty much answers how to settle nerves for a first comp. So, Let's move on from there. Um, okay, Thelani. Oh, one more thing for 
one more thing for settling nerves to comp. Yes. Practice with the competition rules in training. Yes. Like practice with a head ref sitting in front of you with a hand up in front of you giving you a squat command. Practice the rack command. Practice the bench signals. Practice all that kind of stuff. Um, because if you've never used the signals um, in training and you get to meet, you might be overwhelmed and then you might forget what you're doing. True. All right. Next question. Thelani, again, asks, how to recomp after a water cut? How much fluid versus food, electrolytes, etc.? Um, there's an academic answer to this, but I can't remember it very well. So I'll, so I'll give you I'll give you the answer in principle, which is that your priority should be on fluid and electrolytes. Um, food is much less important, although the amount of carbohydrate you have in solution, um, the amount of carbohydrate you have in solution can aid with your rehydration. The good news is that sports drinks, particularly Powerade, really conform very well to the guidelines. Um, or to the evidence for maximizing rehydration. Um, so I would emphasize basically getting some sports drink in initially. And then after that, you can you can probably start diluting the sports drink a little bit if you're going to be having it um, in conjunction with some carbohydrate and salt-containing foods. Um, you shouldn't probably be cutting more than about 3 to 4% of your body weight for a two-hour weigh-in in most circumstances because that's almost certain to come with some performance decrement. So unless it's like a net benefit to you to lift a little worse than normal in a lighter weight class, 3 to 4% should be normal, um, which means you probably want to be taking in close to that much in total fluid in the time leading into your first attempt, which might be pretty hard to do. So if you're like, you know, if you're a 94 kilo man and you're trying to take in 3%, that's trying to take in almost like three liters of fluid, which is, yeah, realistically not going to happen for most people without making you feel pretty crook. But getting in something like a liter of sports drink and then sipping some water and stuff after is at least going to get you on the way and help you retain the water that you keep having across the course of the competition. So basically fluids and electrolytes nearly straight up and then after that diluted electrolytes and some carbohydrate stuff. That's the most important stuff. Alex? Yeah, it's going to be um, pretty much impossible, even if you only cut 3%, to rehydrate all those all of the um, water back in just two hours mm. and if you think about it even closer um weighing starts and lifting starts in it's within a two hour time span yep. you might be weighing in 30 minutes into weighing and lifting immediately which means you really only have an hour and a half which means you have to warm up for squats half an hour before that which means you only really have an hour yeah so we need to be sort of um logical with how much weight we cut initially because if you cut too much and not, you're just not going to be back to peak performance when yep. you step on the platform. Um, so that's the first thing is don't cut too much um, and prioritize f- prioritize f- the things that you've cut, which are going to be water, um, electrolytes, and carbohydrates. So like you said, sports drinks probably your best bet. Gets in all three. Um, and hydration is going to be more of a priority than food. Yeah. And I think... Um it's probably important to say that like, so the the performance decrement in strength power sports seems to kick in past three or 4% or something. Um, what that probably means is that even if you don't fully rehydrate, if you can at least get yourself back into somewhat under that threshold and then continue to rehydrate as best you can over the day that you're going to minimize the performance decrement associated with the weight cut. It doesn't mean you're fully mitigate it but you'll at least minimize it so if you can 
you might not be able to get in three or four percent of your body weight in fluids realistically without just having to pee heaps and feeling bad and having issues with dilution and stuff but if you can get in a couple of percent over a couple of hours and be continuing to sip stuff that's going to help rehydrate you after that then that's a pretty good start um but anyway yeah that's basically my recommendation is smash a sports drink quickly then keep sipping fluids and have some carbs yeah and if you've got a 24 hour and you can get away with more obviously because you have more time to get back to baseline you probably could do five or six percent yeah um yeah that's probably all we need to add on that all right friend of the show the strength physio so that's matt stewart um he says do you think there is a limit to how many lifters a coach should handle in any given session slash flight alex first of all not called flights are called groups yeah fucking matt you should know that <laughs> matt has coached both alex and i at the international <laughs> level no he hasn't coached me oh really no he didn't coach me oh okay you coached me in respect you and uh you and tim yeah god it was a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> um, um either way from a semantic perspective horrible go on um how many in a group or how many in a group or session um is it, it depends is the how many assist- seven or eight depends how many no, how many should a lift a coach no i'm saying how many people is the minimum in a session and the maximum 14 is that correct the maximum in a group you mean group 15 in a group and min- minimum of doesn't matter but it needs to be seven for them to run concurrently if it's less than seven then you take a minute after the sixth person and then you go back to the first person. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Okay, so, so se- like seven, effectively seven, seven to, to 15. 15. Right. And in a session, it could be one, two or three groups. I think if you don't have a flunky with you, like if you don't have somebody who's basically warming your people up for you and making sure they're there ready for you to watch on the platform. Three. Yeah, three, max four, and that's pretty ugly. Is Yeah, I wouldn't want to do four warming up and lifting unless they were all in the same group because if they're all in the same group they all warm up together and then you go lift together and then you go do bench warm ups together and then go do bench together and blah 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 but if they're in separate groups if it depends how many helpers you've got if you've got two helpers you could probably have 10 across the session yeah um i probably wouldn't want more than 10 in a session i've done 11 (laughs) once and that was terrible but i had two helpers i had i think i had eight in in a session at nationals in 2018 um but I had people helping me warm them all up. So I probably watched 10% of their warm-ups. And I also had, I had like two people who were helping me watch and help call attempts as well on the platform. So it ended up being, I was just doing a managerial role. If you have to handle everybody in total, yeah, more than about three or four is really, really hard. If, you, if you're just watching and calling attempts, it's really easy. But then you've got to make sure that the other people are doing things right. And it also depends on the lifters because some lifters really do... Like they benefit from having a lot more contact with you in order to bring out their best performance. And it's not just a matter of watching them lift and putting in numbers, um, in which case you're probably not going to give them the best service when you've got a lot of people. For other people, they're just super easy to handle and you can basically leave them and come up and say, hey, you're lifting in two minutes and they're just ready to go and happy. So it depends who you've got. But yeah, I wouldn't want to do more than max four. Yeah, I think three to six is probably the sweet spot. Yeah. But provided you have one one helper. Anywhere from three to six is probably the most enjoyable with one helper. Yeah. All right. Matt again um, asks, when a lifter misses their opener, when is it appropriate to increase a next attempt versus taking it again? Um, I think if they've missed on a technicality, like they've beat a call um, and it was extremely easy, then sure, you can go up. Um, If they've missed on in the squat on depth, for instance, which is still a technicality, but it's a problem. It's more of a problem than missing like a rack command. It's like a technique, technicality. Yeah, if they are someone who 
tends to miss depth, then I probably wouldn't go up. If they are someone who, who's just a kind of a fluke, then yeah, sure, you go up. Mm. Um, but outside of that, if they miss on strength, absolutely never go up. What do you reckon? Yeah, pretty much that. And then I'd also just overlay like the relative experience of the lifter. So like if you're a complete newbie, sucks if you're missing an opener when it's your first comp like you should probably be opening lighter but they're also so likely to just miss on technicalities even if you tell them a thousand times like they're just more likely to miss on technicalities so with them it might behoove you to just keep things really easy if you're somebody who's moderately experienced and you know they can actually lift well and you've also got a gauge of what their what their real strength is likely to be like then you have a bit more concrete information so if you have somebody say who you know benched 120 last comp and they open up like 112 this comp or something like that and they miss because they beat the press command, then you can pretty confidently say if you go to like 117 and you know and they've gotten stronger across the training cycle, then 117 is a pretty safe attempt still and it gives you a chance to hit a PB on their third. In that instance, that's that's safe. But if you've got somebody who's like, they're benching 60 kilos, it's their first comp, they've benched 63 in training or 65 in training and never more, then you'd probably just stick at 60 kilos because you have no idea what's going to happen if you put 64 on the bar, you know? Yeah, so generally if it's the first one or two comps for a lifter, you don't go up Mm -hmm. and then you hope that they nail it on the second then you can take a slightly bigger jump and end up somewhere between their second and their third on their third. Yeah. If it's someone slightly more experienced, you might ask them if they want to go up anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And they might say yes, they might say no, just go again. Um, But... Generally speaking, if it's like a if it's like a complete blunder and they realise straight away that they've beaten the rack command, then you can probably you can probably go up, but you might not go all the way to the plant second. You might just go like two Half thirds or two three thirds. quarters of the way there. Yeah. All right. Next question. This is from Mags W nineteen seventy eight. Again, friend of the show, formal title. Um, we love Mags. She says, Maybe silly question, but I'm interested. Colon bracket colon again. I'm not really sure. It's like a smiley face, but then if you turn it upside down, it's like a frown. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be smiley face full stop. Right. Well, anyway, she says, what is the hardest part for the coach to do when handling a lifter during the meet? That, she had an exclamation mark there. Losing <laughs> <laughs> capitals. Uh, during, the, during a meet. Is there anything a lifter do, can do to make this easier? So, the I think we can take this question in two parts. The first part is what is the hardest part for a coach to do when handling a lifter during a meet? Or like what what aspects of lifter character, I guess, can make them difficult to handle? Um, I think dealing with someone with volatile emotions can be difficult, especially if you've got multiple lifters and you can't just spend a lot of time with one person trying to, you know, talk through things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can be difficult. Um Timing of warm-ups can be difficult if the warm-up area is a shit show and it's, you know, say you've got two racks and there's 12 people in a group and you're sharing it. Yep. Um, that can be really difficult. Um, outside of that, it's not that difficult. No, I'd say those two things as well. Volatile emotional uh, emotions and, um, and yeah, dealing with difficult warm-up spaces. Um, and is there anything a lifter can do to make these things easier? So as far as like shit show warm-up areas go... Make sure your coach knows where you are at all times. Like yeah. if you're going to the toilet, stay going to the toilet. Yeah, stay in sight. Yeah. Stay pretty much stay in sight for all the warm ups unless you have like a bit of time. Yeah. And like just communicate with your coach. Say like, hey, I want to go to the bathroom or I want to go outside. I'm going to be at X place. So when you need it, they can find you. Yeah, I'll usually tell people like, Okay, this is your seat, you sit here and stay here. Yeah. <laughs> like don't move. Yeah. Um 
Alex loves to just go walk about, never know where he is during a competition. You've gotten better. But, like, you used to literally just piss off and... Well, I always know, like, the timings of stuff. I always come back. Fucking Forrest Gump, mate. You'd be, like, cross-country three minutes after your last warm-up because you've just started running and you don't stop for years and years. Um, That's a bizarre movie when I think about it, isn't it? Really strange. Um, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then, is there anything a lifter can do to make this thing easier? So, volatile emotions. I'm of the opinion, like... It'd be really handy if I could just say to people, like, have a Bex and chill the fuck out. But obviously, you can't do that. And I don't think, as a coach, you can ask people to change aspects of their character. I do think that as lifters get more experience, they learn the skill of regulating their emotions. And they also realize how much, how much, like, emotional outletting or emotional expression is helpful for them. Because, like, sometimes it's useful to, like, have a shit attempt, walk off, say fuck, and then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they just get right back on with the job. Sometimes it's not useful to confront that at all at the time or look for any closure. It's easy to just put things off. But again, those are skills that you learn. And so so I wouldn't say to people, if you're emotional, fucking get a grip before you come to competition. But I would say to people, like if you just take the time over your career to reflect and learn about what's going to help you perform the best on the day and and be willing to critically assess how helpful your emotional responses are and think of strategies to make them as helpful as possible um, or at least minimize the degree to which they're a hindrance, that'd be great. But I don't think it's fair for me to say, hey, everybody just needs to learn to fucking sit in the corner and listen to music and chill out um, while I'm coaching them because that'll make my job easier. Like my job is to facilitate your job in performing and you are how you are. And if you just happen to be an emotional person, then that's how you're going to be when you go to lift. Alex? Yeah, and generally in competition is where those emotions are going to come out most likely because it's Mm. when things matter. And, you know, you can't say to someone like, you know, don't show emotion, be a robot if they are someone who will react if something goes wrong or if something doesn't go to their liking. So there's nothing that really a lifter can do to sort of regulate their emotions outside of, you know, trying to improve over time. Or like, you know, when you experience something, like if you miss a squat on depth, um you might have a tantrum and complain to the refs or something. And then if that happens again to you, you might say, okay, you might think like, okay, what did that tantrum help me with last time? And is it worth doing it again? And then you might come to the agreement that no, it's probably not worth the tantrum, but you know, you can be upset for a minute, but you need to better move on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's really important that we acknowledge that like, it's okay to show emotion so long as you're able to complete the next task. Um, and if you're able to move on from a mistake or from a mislift or you've beaten a call or so, or something, um, if you're able to move on, then that's really all that matters. Yeah. So so long as yeah, so long as that emotion isn't affecting things further on in the competition, like if you miss your last bench press and then it affects all your deadlift warmups and then it affects all your deadlift attempts, that's probably not the best way. But if you miss your last bench press and then you know you have a whinge for a couple of minutes and then you're like, okay, time to time to deadlift, that's probably the right response to have. I don't have anything to add to that, but when you just said time to, it reminded me of, okay, guys, there's an excellent meme. Um, I'm going to put it, I'll, somebody messaged me to remind me of this. I'm going to put it on my story after this episode comes out. It's, it's RPEs. Um, it's, it's the Drake meme where he's like, no thanks. And then hell yeah. Um, but it's got Ronnie Collins oh, yeah, so superimposed good. on it and it's RPEs with his quotes. And it reminded me of the best Ronnie Coleman quote ever is time to bleed. <laughs> And he says that before a set. <laughs> Time to bleed. So funny. Um, okay. I don't have anything to add to Alex's answer. I thought it was really good. 
Okay. <laughs> One more serious question, but this guy's going to cop an absolute roasting. And Alex, you'll know why when I say it. Um, so, remembering that this is a competition day Q&A with a question box that said, submit your questions about competition. Dennis J. Pereira. Oh, this guy. He did this last time. <laughs> he says... At which stage of a client's lifting career would you implement linear versus undulating periodization? Dennis. Get fucked, Dennis. <laughs> I was going to say get fucked. But for I hope he's sake, listening, man. man. Come on, read the fucking story. <laughs> I'm not, How hard is it? I honestly don't get it because this guy obviously likes us. Like, he submits questions all the time. He must be hanging off every word. Like, <laughs> mate, fucking read the post. Like, we're, uh. we're here to help you, man. All you have to do is say... Do you think you would peak better with linear or undulating periodization? And I'd be fucking, I'd be teeing off right now, you know. But now I'm teeing off on you because you like if you can fucking read, you've chosen not to, and it's really pissing me off. I am opting to not go anywhere near this question because he wasn't. He, well, we're just gonna completely pass on it. We're gonna skip this question because he didn't fucking put the time in to ask an effective question why would we give him an effective answer we've, i think we've got three dedicated listeners we're gonna lose one of them yeah but dennis, why he's dennis, not the type of guy we want on, on the team okay let's if you can't give follow, him like if you a, can't follow basic instructions let's give him a cursory answer all right okay i don't think it's helpful to draw really hard lines between different models of periodization um i think different models of periodization are useful when you're trying to look at them in some type of a scientific context or something because you need like really you need like a defined model to be able to compare them but in reality when we train people and write programs for them we get elements of all sorts of training methods and and periodization models in order to shape training as best we can so you know when we are approaching a competition almost always from like a zoomed out perspective we want to see the weights go up and the volume come down which is the basic tenet of linear periodization um as training gets heavier within a cycle we normally need more contrast between heavy and light days so that would be that would be something that you would consider undulation or undulating periodization in scientific literature undulating periodization normally involves having days that are labeled differently because they're supposedly training different strength qualities so having like a strength day a power day and a hypertrophy day would be really normal um you might not think of it in that respect when you're writing programs for people most of the time although in an off-season period you might have days that you consider volume days and days you consider strength days and things like that but either way from a from like a zoomed out perspective you'll probably see some linearity across a training cycle and with and phase to phase you'll see different levels of undulation depending on the training goal and how prepared or fatigued people can be in their primary training sessions so i don't think that's got anything to do with the client's career per se it's, um they're just considerations that you realistically have when you're writing a program alex can you read the question out again because i was just too busy roasting dennis to, <laughs> to think about an answer his question was first things guys alex is a champ Thanks, Dennis. He didn't say that. <laughs> of course not. Um, he said, at which stage of a client's lifting career would you implement linear versus undulating periodization? Well, I think the... Um, uh, yeah, like you said, I wouldn't go like hard and fast to either method. I think it's more about understanding the training principles and how we can manipulate them to achieve a result. Um, and when someone gets further and further in their lifting career, we are going to need to use a little bit more undulation in load in particular um, between sessions in order to keep them fresh because those heavier sessions are just so much more fatiguing. But yeah, outside of that, 
I don't really think that there's any need to draw a line in the sand. Yep. Okay, agreed. That's enough for Dennis. Fucking read the question box, mate. Yeah, come honestly. on, mate. What are you doing? All right, quick break, and then we'll deal with the troll questions super fast, and then do it under or overrated. All right. Perfect. Weekly weights. Welcome back to episode seventy-six. <coughs> what this did you, is the. What did you forget? Huh? What did you forget? Kablammington. Yeah, yeah. Lamington. That's a good dessert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very Aussie. All right. Kablammington. Uh, we're gonna answer the troll question. So my first question. From Jack Motivate, how to get a third deadlift? Be stronger. Yeah, be better. <laughs> um, um. <laughs> grab the bar and stand up with it to completion. Yeah. Um, poor Jack. He He's so quick to about the knee, but it's, he pulls quite rounded, and then <sighs> from there he just gets punished. So his estimation of how much he can lift is probably really biased towards how good it feels until it gets hard and how fast it moves initially, right? Yeah, we've done a full revamp of his deadlift technique because he just wouldn't listen to me for like two years. And now- That's easy money for you, <laughs> isn't it? Don't. Why would you say anything? If somebody's not going to listen to you, just fuck them, take their money. Um, yeah, he's got so much better at squat and bench, but... So it's gone fucking nowhere. I was going to say, squat and bench have been looking really good. His deadlift doesn't look bad. He just gets punished above the knee. No, he fucking changes his technique once it gets above 240. Right. Because he gets scared and just fucking yanks it. Anyway, <laughs> we, we've done this full revamp on his technique and then he pulled his hamstring playing baseball on Saturday. Fucking oh, idiot. Fuck. You know what the B stands for in baseball? Bitch. I was going to say beta, but yeah. <laughs> so Same thing. B for boring as yeah, well. Baseball sucks. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, serious question. How do you hide your adjective nether regions in that lifting suit? Why adjective? Mm, I just didn't want to say the specific adjective. What did he say? Inside information. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason to hide your nether regions in the lifting suit. If anything, I want to emphasize... Yeah, show it off, there. man. <laughs> well, there's, there's not get much a, to show off in it. Pre-game fluff out the back. Now that I don't have to... <laughs> get a semi on. Now that I don't have to cut, I'm like stuffing in that soft suit. <laughs> <laughs> like anything I can fit in it, I'd put in there. All right. Um, a, another troll question from me. <laughs> okay. Beth Claire Fitness says, when are they going to add in hip thrusts? What do you think? Imagine if there was a hip thrust. Appalling. Never. I've you know hip thrusts and RDLs are like the two fucking worst done exercises in the gym. They're so and maybe bent over rows I'd throw in there as well. But everybody's fucking shit at hip thrusts. Um, and if you put them in, you'd just be asking people to do bad hip thrusts. Um, anyway, no, they're not coming in at all. Terrible. Um, Mitch Ronan says, "What did nutrition look like for Burke in '09?" Um. <laughs> This is a run, good run through the day because you've done this before with me and it, it's it's good it's extensive um, first things first I should say that peak fat Burke was 2010 um, so so 09's a bit different so I'll give you a standard day in 2010 this was during rugby season so I'd usually have a morning training so I'd wake up I'd go to training and then mum would have sent me a um, a protein drink and then she always made me an egg sandwich it was mad i had these big slices of bread with egg beetroot cheese whole bunch of vegetables and stuff and a muesli bar so i'd have protein shake muesli bar egg sandwich but then we were also allowed to have boarders breakfast so we'd have a shower and i'd go to the boarding house and just help myself to the brekkie buffet why were you allowed boarders breakfast because we were training early in the morning so they just let us 
like there's there's like 15 people in the whole school that would just let have borders break if we had an early training so so i'd usually go and smash the buffet which was often like you know those really shitty powdered scrambled eggs be like that and some hash browns or like cereal or something so i just have a bit more um but when it wasn't that sometimes before school they would have cheese croissants ham and cheese croissants that they'd heat up in the microwave so i might get them um then morning tea time comes around and morning tea i had another sandwich usually with some meat and cheese and stuff um usually a fruit juice and then like a trail mix so i'd have that but then i would also pretty reasonably often have somebody else's sandwich or something as well or i'd go to the top shop and they had the big the big m's um like the 500 mil ones or whatever um or the milks yeah Tucker milks yeah and the cookies um the big tuck shop cookies that they'd heat up for you so i'd usually have that in addition to to what i just said then lunchtime comes around another big sandwich fruit juice usually piece of fruit some other snack like muesli bar or something again occasionally more from the tuck shop but usually i'd stick to about that Sometimes I'd also get like a um, a Tupperware container filled with like pasta or like butter chicken pasta or something, just calories on calories. So then afternoon tea comes around and if I had rugby training, I would just have like a Powerade and a muesli bar or something like that. But if I didn't have rugby training, my go-to when I got home, I'd have a big cup of milk, like full cream milk and then heaps of apricot logs, like five to six apricot logs, big cup of milk, often with Milo in it peaceful stuff sometimes with protein powder if i was feeling like skinny that day you know um so big cup of full cream milk and that then dinner dinner would be two or three hundred grams of meat um usually potatoes or bread or something like that bunch of veggies on the side bunch of sauce like standard seven eight hundred calorie dinner um and then dessert was often like you know a couple hundred grams of ice cream with some sauce like chocolate sauce or something on it and and some milk um that was like normal days but here and there i'd go out to dinner or something as well and get like the big bento box from the local sushi place with a side of gyoza and then i'd buy like a one liter milk and a block of chocolate like as in proper block of chocolate and just have that when i was walking home so they're like they're pretty standard days at what point did you look in the mirror and think i'm a fat fuck honestly it took um it took some very honest people being like hey will you've like really bulked up real good for me to realize up until that point i just thought i was big sexy you know um no i definitely (laughs) (laughs) i knew i was pretty fat um i yeah i definitely knew i was pretty fat and i had like hardcore sweats all the time after i ate um so no i knew i was pretty fat it was when i it was when i decided i definitely didn't want to try and play rugby professionally and I was like, fuck, I'm way too big to ever feel good about the way I am. All right, enough about you, enough about you, way. Will. You want another another question? Do you, any, you want? do you have any more troll questions? Yeah, I do. Um, Digby is going grief, fucking Digby. mental. Um, Can you not bite my arm, mate? Oh, actually, no, I don't really have any other good troll questions. So let's do, let's do overall underrated. Um, my dog is currently attacking Alex. Alex, do you want to ask me your one? Hang on one second, I'm going to stand up. Yeah. Alright, overrated, underrated, probably rated. Yeah. Foam rolling. Oh, this is a bit like... It's a bit like um, your answer that you gave Thomas to his one, which I forgot what the category hook, was. Hook grip. Yeah, it's a bit like that. Um, I reckon there's a couple of camps of people... 
there's like three camps of people for foam rolling and they're all a bit wrong or there's two realistic camps of people right there's people who think foam rolling is completely useless wrong there's people who think foam rolling is like the fucking answer to everything and like if you don't foam roll for ages before you lift like how can you ever lift and like be a supple leopard and stuff and like fucking wrong stop wasting your time the Ben Varley camp (laughs) shout out Ben old colleague of Alex and mine but then the I think the realistic camp that nobody actually occupies but might be like the average of the two is about properly rated um there is some evidence that foam rolling can improve range of motion and doesn't seem to have deleterious effects on performance and I think some targeted foam rolling and mobility work can probably help people perform well and it also might have a function away from training in restoring some parasympathetic tone so um, helping with recovery and helping you relax and stuff Um, I also think it might have some value as a pre-training ritual in the same way that like having pre-training ritual foods and things like that is helpful so i think it has a place but it's certainly not as fucking amazing as people think it is um well as some people think it is well as some people think it is and it's also not completely useless like i wouldn't dismiss it entirely out of hand and almost anybody who actually says foam rolling is useless would at the same time be like oh but anecdotally i've done it a few times and it feels really good when i do right so like they're acknowledging that there might be a place for it it's just if you spend fucking ages rolling your body before every session you're a nitwit what do you think um, see, I would attack it from a slightly different perspective. I and, like that you said you're going to attack it, though. Go and on. I would look at it from a time perspective. So, like, seven, eight years ago, foam rolling, extremely overrated. Yes. Kelly Starrett, Supple Leopard, yeah. foam roll your fucking dick if you have to. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now, it's kind of swung the other direction. Where I'd say it's actually probably underrated. Oh, because people are like... Because everyone's like, oh, fuck Kelly. Fuck Kelly, sorry. Yeah, true. Um, So, I would say over the course of time, properly rated. At the moment, underrated. Eight years ago, overrated. Yeah. I think, like, it doesn't actually have to do anything structurally. And it doesn't. Like, it doesn't have to do anything structurally to have some benefit. I think that's the really, like, myopic way of looking at it. Is to be like, well... Well, the initial claim about why it was efficacious is false. Therefore, it's a fucking waste of time. When, like I said, everybody anecdotally who does some foam rolling reckons it helps. But you just don't need to foam roll your whole body and it's not actually changing anything structurally that goes on with the muscle. Um, Interestingly, there was some research recently where foam rolling the hamstrings, which are a really weird muscle to foam roll, I think it was the hamstrings, actually improved range of motion at the shoulder which suggests that it's a systemic effect, um, the reduction in sympathetic tone. So you have a slight reduction in sympathetic tone, which means you have slightly more extensibility um, or slightly increased range of motion around all your joints in your body. So it might be that even just a little bit of targeted foam rolling to the muscles that feel really tight will help loosen you up elsewhere as well. So anyway, I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's reasonably well rated. I also think that there are some muscles that like lend themselves positively to being foam rolled mm. like the pecs like the biceps the lats oh man foam rolling the biceps is so hard it feels so bad but also good yeah the the pec minor bicep getting that yeah like um the lat a lateral f- hip the, if you can yeah, get into the side of your if hip you can get ball. a ball into your hip flexor um tfl range like that's i think that has merit as well mm. but like stuff like hamstrings like you just don't feel anything no 
even rolling your glutes unless unless you're on the side. Yeah. Don't feel anything. Like I, I think, think actually something to be foam rolling the T spine feels quads as well. Foam yeah. rolling low on the quad can feel really, really great. And yeah, up high in like the TFL region feels fucking great. Meat of your quad is terrible. Yeah, anyway, I actually think foam rolling gets a bad rap and I would say underrated. I'm I'm sitting slightly at underrated. Like rated. like fifty five percent underrated. Yeah. Okay, I'm i I'm fine with that. All right. This one's an easy one. You can tee off on this. Self-aggrandizing lifting memes. Like I'm talking those memes where it's like like a picture of a lion being like when you have to carry lots of shopping bags but you're a fucking badass mofo who like trained shrugs yesterday and you know you can carry 20 kilos of shopping or some shit like that where it's just it's trying to make you out to be the toughest person on the... I'm biasing your answer a lot. It's trying to make you out to be the toughest person on the planet because you lift. Or like, you know, you dominating work just like you dominate leg day and shit like that where it just makes lifting out to be tough. To be honest, like, I never see these memes. Oh, you're a lucky man. Because I don't follow... Fucking hate them. I don't follow a lot of meme pages and the pages that... Well, the memes that I see are the ones that I get shared with, so... Yeah. I don't think anyone would ever share that fucking shit with me, so... Very, (laughs) very clearly overrated. (laughs) I'm just like, how fucking sad do you have to be to literally spend your time making memes to tell the world how tough you are for doing your own fucking hobby. Like, yeah, you need some... Grow the You need some more up. hobbies. Oh, my God. And, like, also, it's not hard to go to the gym. Like, we say this all the time. It's literally the thing you choose to do with your spare time because you like it and you're making yourself out to be, like, a fucking Spartan warrior for doing, like, on the low end of difficulty exercise for fun a few fucking times a week so you can look better. Like fuck off if I see oh man I'm tempted to start blocking and reporting accounts that post shit like that and also it should be illegal to have a lion or a wolf as the background of an inspirational picture quote about going to the gym what do you think about that I think the worst ones are the ones that like have a lion and it's like what's that quote lions lions don't care about the opinions of sheep or something yeah like shit like that like fuck off <laughs> if if you have to tell people that you're a fucking lion and yeah. you're not a sheep then you're probably a sheep yeah hey i'm on the internet telling everyone i don't care about their opinion so that i can get their fucking approvals like oh yeah that's the worst yeah anyway not i don't even know but okay sorry are they actually overrated or is everybody's is everybody's perspective on them the same as ours yeah prof- if- maybe properly rated but the fact that there are so many of them well this is the thing people must like that stuff like listen Probably fucking Dennis. If you're like... <laughs> Dennis is the, ma- is the creator of all of them. Yeah. If you're liking content like that, you're actually part of the problem. It's literally... It's it's the worst. It's like people who are like closet sexists or racists or something just accidentally. You know you know that, that whole phenomenon? No. It's like that, but worse. What? Like... You know when people say like you prop up like sexist or racist attitudes by like your passive participation in like in social behaviors or attitudes or whatever that promote that promotes well, like voting for Trump voting for Trump means you're a sexist sure i'm i'm like i'm trying to do it without stating any concrete examples because there's probably times when it's true and times when that's just fucking bullshit that people trot out conveniently or to like support their watching the NRL makes your wife beat yeah exactly like that's a, <laughs> that i mean that's just true but <laughs> no but like as in i i don't know i can't think of I can't think of a good example that universally people would agree on, 
but people can sort of say like you're part of the problem if oh, you do X, Y, and Z. Israel Folau should be allowed back in rugby Australia. I yeah, that's a that's a vexed issue. There's none of these that are actually black and white issues, but just like you can you can inadvertently through your own thoughtless behaviour do things that propagate big social wrongs. If you fucking like another meme with a lion or a wolf on it and it shows up in my explore and I see that you, the person that I follow on Instagram has done it, I'm just unfollowing you. I'm not going to have people like you in my fucking contacts list. That's how strongly I feel about it. Is that all I need to do to get you to unfollow me? (laughs) (laughs) I would love to unfollow you. Just give me a reason. Um, Yeah, I fucking hate those memes. Anyway, that was Weekly Weights. (laughs) I'm glad we got onto that. Jesus. I've been stewing over that ever since I thought of them. Yeah, that was Weekly Waves. <laughs> um, yeah, you can follow me, Alex Hayes underscore process. And next time I put up a question thing, please ask me some questions. Yeah, you can follow very me. left out. You can follow me at w.berkmanpt. But if you fucking like lion or wolf memes, you can unfollow me at w.berkmanpt. And if I put up a questions tab, ask a relevant question. That's all That's all I want in return. Should we put up... You should put up one of those memes like on Saturday and see who's, who's watched, <laughs> listened to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. But seriously, like, guys, come on. We do a lot of work for free for you guys. Like, this is a two-hour podcast, and I'm going to have to edit for a bit. We're going to record some transitions and stuff. Like, the least you can fucking do is read our question stickers, Dennis. I'm never letting that go. Yeah, Dennis. But also, shout-out, Dennis. You can can ask questions as often as you want. Just please make them relevant. When we finally get merch, we're going to have a shirt that says, Dennis is a coward. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this has been Weekly Waste. Talk to you guys next week.